How many of you know the name Damar Hamlin? Damar Hamlin. Yeah, I see, I see a lot of hands go up. Damar Hamlin plays cornerback for the Buffalo Bills in the National Football League. A couple weeks ago, the nation watched as he made a tackle, and it didn't really even seem to be that hard of a tackle, but he stands up and he immediately collapses on the field. And the doctor said if it hadn't have been for such quick response from medical staff with CPR and an AED that DeMar Hamlin would have died. And just this week, he's been back with his team, likely to make a full recovery and possibly go back to playing football. And it was interesting, it said that the, the, the next game when DeMar Hamlin was in the hospital, the Buffalo Bills on the opening kickoff returned the kickoff all the way back for a touchdown. And they said it had been three years and three months since the Buffalo Bills had returned a, a kickoff for a touchdown. Three years, three months, and DeMar Hamlin's number is number three. Now, that's not providential, I don't think, but it sure is coincidental, for sure. But what I found interesting about it is when DeMar Hamlin went down on that field, it wasn't long that you looked, and both sides of that team were on their knees, praying. Praying. Staff was praying. People were praying. People were weeping. What, what was different? What had happened? Why, why all of a sudden are people on their knees praying? Because life hangs in the balance. People are watching before their very eyes a young man whose life hangs in the balance. And when crisis hits and often when life hangs in the balance, what do we do? We go to God. We go to our knees. And I thank God for Psalm 46 and 1 that says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. I can go to God in crisis. I can go to God when I have a need. When the crisis of life hits, I'm glad I can get on my knees and He hears me. Now, I don't know how many of those people praying around there were redeemed of the Lord. Statistically, probably not that many. But I can assure you there were some in there that were. And they were calling on the name of God. But what was really most striking about the whole thing is it's not, just not been too many years ago that they ridiculed Tim Tebow for going out and taking a knee and, and praying before a game. Just this year, there was a case before the United States Supreme Court where a high school football coach simply at the end of a game would go out into the middle of the field, take a knee. He invited any player that wanted to join him to come. It was not mandatory. And the school districts lost their mind. The atheist groups come running. The man lost his job. He had to go to the United States Supreme Court. Thank God he won that case. But what was different? I haven't seen the first atheist group scream and holler yet. I haven't seen the ACLU come out and say, we're filing the suit. All those people can't pray like that. There was even a man who got on ESPN, if you saw it, and said, in times like these, we pray. And he prayed on ESPN, and they didn't shut it off. It was amazing to me. What was different? Life. Life hung in the balance. During that course of that, they interviewed the Duke basketball coach. And he said this. They were asking him about it. And he said this verbatim. He said, life is precious. Life is precious. And it is precious. But all life is precious. All life is precious to God. All life. Not just a star athlete, but the unborn child in the womb. Those who are born with a birth defect. 
those who are born with mental defects, the people who are in the assisted living facility where I go see my dad, that their bodies are failing and they're old. Their life is precious. And it's precious to God. I wish that was true. I wish all life was the same and precious in the eyes of our society. But the reality is we know that it's not. We know we value life differently. We value life on its worth. We value life on its, on its value to society. We value the rich and the famous. We may say we don't, but we do. But God does not. I want to give you a real-life example of that. And one thing about spending 28 years in law enforcement, it makes for some good sermon illustrations. But they're true life, really true life. Well, it's several, several years ago, I got called out to Holloway Street where a young prostitute had been caught in the crossfire of two gangbangers shooting at each other, and she lay dead on the sidewalk on Holloway Street. And I went out to that scene, and I saw her there, and what struck me is she lay there right in front of a church. But it, but it wasn't just any church. It was a church pastored by a man by the name of Michael Page. Michael Page is a county commissioner. He's been elected on and off to the county commission. He's very influential in Durham. He's very influential in Durham politics. He's a, he's a good man. I stood out there, and I looked at that, and I looked at that church, and I looked at her, I wondered how much different would we be handling this if that were Michael Page. I did. Now, surely there was a, there was a brief story on the news about it. There always is whenever there's a, a homicide in Durham. But what I can tell you is if that had been Michael Page there, the mayor would have been on the scene. All the county commissioners would have been on the scene. They'd have been demanding we turn that city upside down, that we do something about the crime. It would have been handled completely different. Why? Because we value life differently. But God does not. God sees all life as precious. So this morning what I want to do, I just want to look at what the Bible says. So, so God's, the Bible is God's word to us. It is our standard. It's what we look at. So why are we pro-life? Are we pro-life because we're radical conservatives who have just gone crazy because we want to get in between a woman and her doctor? We want to deny a woman a right to medical health care? None of that. None of that. We're pro-life because God is pro-life. And if we're followers of him and we know that that book is his revealed word to us, then we say, God, what do you say about it? And so for the next few minutes, I want to see just what does God's word say about life. You with me? If you have your Bibles or your phones, and of course it'll be on the screen, if you'll look at 139, Psalm 139 and 14, 139 and 14. The psalmist says, I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. If you looked at the person next to you, that person is fearfully and wonderfully made. Husband, your wife is fearfully and wonderfully made. Wife, your husband is fearfully and wonderfully made. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made by God. So why is life so special to God? First, every human life is special to God. Because, and Lakeisha mentioned this, every person is made in the very image of God. That means we're his image bearers. He put his image in us. That doesn't mean God looks like us or has hands and feet like us. But somehow, someway, we bear his image. And when he created us, he created us with his image to go out into a world and be an image bearer to the world of who he is. That got marred by sin. But it got restored by Jesus. 
So we're to be the image bearers. What else separates us? What else makes us special to God? He formed us and breathed his breath into us. So you know, last Sunday of this month, I'm going to be starting, we're going to go through the book of Genesis together. So you read the story of the creation account. Read Genesis 1 and 2, somewhere between now and the end of the month. So you'll see some of this again. But everything else in creation, he spoke it into existence. Animals, he spoke into existence. And he gave them life. Us, he formed us. And he breathed life into us. He breathed life into us. He formed us and he breathed life into us. That's why I think there's something deep in the heart of man that only God can satisfy. And we look for all kinds of things to satisfy. Sin broke that ultimate connection we have with God. The only thing that can restore it is a relationship with Christ. But the world looks for everything else. We try to restore it with alcohol and drugs and money and relationships and all those things. There's only one thing that can deeply satisfy the soul and the spirit of man. And that is through and by a relationship with Christ. Because he formed us and he breathed life into us. We see that in Genesis 2 and 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And Job recognized this when he said, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The danger of evolution is, is if, if we just evolved like everyone else, then we have no more value than a dog or a cat that is euthanized for whatever reason deemed necessary. And we get on this slippery slope that life is not precious, that we can decide when life begins, when life ends. When we start to play in God, when we get on those slippery slopes, things get bad real fast. And we're seeing that in our society. Every human life is special to God. Why? Because we are triune beings. We are spiritual beings. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. The body provides a home to the soul and the, and the spirit, but it's also important to God. The body is important to God. That's one thing unique about Christianity. Many of the unique things about Christianity. This body is important to God. It does a couple things with it. One, we acknowledge God with it. Romans 10.10 says, With the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It happens in my heart. It happens in my spirit. But it is with my mouth that that confession is made. It's with this body that we worship God. Romans 12 and 1, Paul writing to the church at Rome said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We present these bodies to God as vessels of worship. The Bible says precious are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul said, I would that men everywhere would lift up holy hands to God. It is with our bodies that we worship God. It is with our mouths and our tongues that we sing praises to God. And ultimately, this body will be glorified. You on these days, you're going to, guess what? You're going to have a brand new body. I'm going to have a brand new body. And it's not going to get sick. It's not going to have cancer. It's not going to die. It's not going to have all the problems that we have today. It's going to be a glorified body. Jesus, when he rose again, he had that same body. It was a glorified body. His disciples 
could see him. They could recognize him. He could eat. I think too many times we think in, when we're glorified and we get to heaven that everything's just going to be different. No, everything's going to be redeemed. Everything is going to be right. Everything's going to be the way it should have been. And this body will be like it was made to be glorified. And we'll know each other in heaven. I'm glad. I hope, I hope as I look about this congregation that I see every one of you there. Because it's going to be good. And I hope I see all of you there. And I think I will know you when I see you. I'll know you, David. I might not want to know you, but I'm going to know you, David. <laughs> I'm going to know Steve. And I'm going to know Doug and Sister Carol. We're going to know each other there. We will have a glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15 and 44. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, talking about the body, he said, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. But we're not just body. We're also soul. This is the seat of our emotions. This is what makes Larry, Larry, and makes you, you. This is what gives us our personalities. This is what makes us laugh. This is the area where we hate, where we love, where we want, all the things that make up who we are. This is the things that begin to separate us from the rest of creation. And then there's the Spirit. This is where we make our connection with God since God is Spirit. John 4, 24. God is Spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. This is what died when the original sin happened, when Adam ate of that fruit and God said, you will surely die. His body didn't die. The dying process began, but his spirit died that day. And there's only one thing that makes it alive now. And that is through, when you come to Christ, you repent of your sin and that spirit becomes alive again. That's what Nicodemus wanted to know about when he came to Jesus. And Jesus told him this in John 3, 3. He said, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus couldn't understand it. How, how am I going to get back in my mama's womb? Where that's not what's reborn. That spirit, the thing that died that day in the Garden of Eden is reborn. And that spirit comes alive. But I'm afraid we get it backwards. We spend a lot of time on this body, don't we? I can look out here at all of you and tell you spend a good amount of time, some more than others, on getting ready this morning. And your hair's all fixed up, your makeup's on, your, your, your clothes look good. How much time have you spent on that spirit this week? Have you spent as much time in your spirit as you've spent on your body? Probably not. Probably not. And we get it backwards. Because here's the thing, church. Once that spirit comes alive, once it gets reconnected to God, then it starts to affect the soul. It is the things I used to love, I don't love as much anymore. The things I used to hate, I'm starting to love. The way I start to see people starts to change. Now, it may not change your personality. God won't typically change your personality. But he will change the things that make up who you are when those things are outside what his word commands. He's going to start to change you. And then guess what? The spirit comes alive. The soul begins to change. And, and what the body does begin to change. The things that the hands used to do, they don't want to do no more. The things the eyes want to look at, they don't even want to look at that anymore. The th places that the feet go, they're like, I don't want to go there anymore. It's a process. 
But when that spirit comes alive, the soul and the body and the whole person begins to change. When I see what that body starts to do and not do, I know God's working on the heart. I know he's working on the soul. And I know he's starting to redeem people from the inside out. We're never going to change people from the outside in. we got thousands of people in prison. And that's never going to change them. Yeah, it's going to contain them and they have to be there. But we get the spirit of God in there, then they start to change. That heart starts to change. That's what change in a man comes from. Think of it like this. The soul and the spirit are similar in the manner in which they are used in the spiritual life of the believer. They are different in their reference. The soul is man's horizontal view of the world. So how I see people, how I relate to people, my personality, your personality to me, that's where the soul is. The spirit is man's vertical view with God. It is important to understand that both refer to the immaterial part of man but only the spirit refers to man's walk with God. The soul refers to man's walk in the world. So when that spirit man begins to be renewed, when that spirit man begins to change, the way I begin to walk in the world and the way I begin to walk amongst my fellow man begins to change. We are triune beings. And lastly, God is sovereign over life. God is sovereign over life. There's a lot of things that's going to happen in life that you're just simply not going to understand. There's going to be things in life that I am not going to understand. But God is sovereign. I heard some. I tried to find it again. I, I went through all I could on the computer. I just could not find it. But I recently saw where Tony Evans said something very, very fitting here. And he said there's two things that every Christian will help every Christian if we just grasp. And then one, that is the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. And to fully understand that. And to next is to fully accept the sovereignty of God. To know that he is in control. That shouldn't scare us. That should give us comfort. Because there are things that we're never going to fully understand, but we do know that God is sovereign. I looked up some definitions, and that's a, the sovereignty of God is a broad term. And I don't know that it really can be defined, but I found this, and I'll read this to you. It's probably as good as I could find. It says, The sovereignty of God means that as a ruler of the universe, God is free, and he has the right to do whatever he wants. He's not bound or limited by the dictates of his created beings. Further, he is in complete control over everything that happens here on earth. God's will is the final cause of all things. And we see bad things happen. And we say, God, why do bad things happen? And all we can say is we know this. God is sovereign over everything. He allows certain things to happen. He causes certain things to happen. But that's why I love Romans 8, 28. Before I know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and call according to His purposes. There's going to be things that are going to happen in your life if you're a follower of the Lord. They are not good. But if you trust God and you trust the sovereignty of God, you know that somehow, some way along the way, it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. I saw a little, it really is a simple analogy, but I'm a simple-minded person and it helped me, so maybe it'll help you. But when I was studying this idea of the sovereignty of God, it said, think about an ant in a bowl. And you're watching that ant in that bowl, and that ant is you. But you have total control over that ant. You can pick that ant up, and you can put him out of that bowl. You can let that ant run around in that bowl. If the ant tries to get in the bowl, you can push the ant back down in the bowl. I have total control over that ant. Now, that ant might try to get out, and I might push him back in that bowl, and the ant might be thinking, why won't this man let me out of that bowl? Because I have a different view than the ant. 
And God has a different view than we have. And he, I might know, look, if I let you out of that bowl, there's a whole bunch of big stomping feet out of it, and you're going to get crushed. And sometimes that's what happens within God's Word. We want to get outside of it. God has a big view, and He says, stay here where I got you. You're going to get crushed. But we can't see God's perspective. But He has total control, and nothing happens that God's not aware of. And the same is true in our lives. same is true with our lives. God is sovereign over the aspects of life. He determines the beginning of life, and it begins at conception. If there's any one place that science has helped the church, it is in this area. I remember the first time I saw a 3D uh, ultrasound. It was mind-boggling. And now the last time we went to one, it was with my daughter-in-law, Layla, and we went to something like a movie. We went into this big thing, and it was, it was dark, and it, you know, it was like a big movie theater in there, and the lady did the little thing. Man, you could see what the child looked like. It was incredible. It was incredible because God created it. And it begins at conception. Psalm 139 and 13. You formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. And God determines the direction of life. If you're here this morning where your life is and where you're going, it's not outside of God's control. Yeah, there's free will, and I don't know how all that balances out sometimes. But God is in control of the direction of your life. And he set you where he has set you for a, pers- for a purpose. And he might have let you go through some bad things for a purpose. But believe this, there is a purpose in it. And somehow, some way, it's for your good. And somehow, in some way, it may be for you to be a blessing to someone else and to the kingdom of God. He, takes, he gives beauty for ashes. He takes terrible things that happen in people's lives. And he makes wonderful things out of them. But he determines direction. He told the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before, I, before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you to a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was even born, God already knew him. Before you were born, God knew you, and he already had a plan for you. And he said, Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. The same is true. I don't have this up here. You can, it's in your outline. You can reference this if you want to. With John the Baptist. The angel appeared to John the Baptist and said, Hey, John, the, the, the child that your wife is going to have, he's going to be full of the Holy Spirit. He's going to prepare the way for the Savior. He already had all that planned out. You would say, Well, that was for Jeremiah the prophet. That was for John the Baptist. It's for you. And it's for me. Because God determines the direction of life. But lastly, God is also sovereign on the end of life. God determines when it ends. This is where we're getting into trouble here because we've decided when life ends and on what terms it ends. That's God's business. That is God's business. Job knew that in Job 14, 1 through 5. Kristen, I got 1 through 5, but I'm just going to read 5. I meant to take that off. In Job 14 and 5, Job said this of man. He said, since his days are determined, and your days are determined, and my days are determined, the number of his months is with you, God. You have appointed his limits so he cannot pass. God has appointed the limits of my days. He's appointed the limits of your days. And we see that also in the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 9, 27. He says, it is appointed to man once to die, and after this, the judgment. 
Kristen made note of uh, a, lot of, a lot of announcements this morning. I thank God for that. That means we're, we're doing stuff. And we're getting together and we're starting to fellowship again, and I'm glad of that. By the way, there's a sign-up sheet for that men's dinner out there, guys. So after this, sign up if you're going to come. But like me, and she mentioned it, I live by this thing right here. I, I just do. I, I, if there's something, I will take that uh, sheet, uh, the order of service, or I'll look on the screen while those announcements are being given, and I'll plug them things in, because if I don't, I'll forget. And what I do, I get up in the morning, and I look there, and I'll see what I have on my calendar for that day. And there's been a many times I was like, oh, gosh, I'm glad I had that in my phone. I sure would have forgot about that today. But I want to tell you something, church. There is, I could flip through this thing. You know, you can go years in advance and years back on this thing. There's an appointment in here that it's here. I can't find it in here, but it's here. And it says, die today. Die today. And unlike some of the other appointments that I might miss and some that I may not keep and some that I can reschedule, we're going to keep that appointment. That is an appointment that I will keep. That is an appointment that you will keep. I don't know what the manner will be. Some die old age. Some die suddenly, tragically, but that, God decides that. But I'm not as concerned about that as the date as I am. Am I ready for it? Am I prepared for that appointment? And it's simple. We make it complicated. We simply come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've messed it all up. And I just ask that you forgive me of my sin. And I'm going to make you the Lord of my life. And I'm going to set on a path to follow you. And the Bible says when that happens and that old spirit comes alive, when I keep that date and I will and I stand before him, nothing that I've done is going to matter. I can't be good enough to get there. I can't be bad enough to stay out. But what he's going to see is he's going to see that I'm covered in the righteousness of Jesus. I got my ticket. He's going to give me the ticket. And I want to make sure this morning that everyone who is in here this morning that you have your ticket. Because that is an appointment that we will all keep. God determines the manner of man's death. He determines how it's going to happen. I'm going to ask the praise team if they'll come forward. And I know there'll be some who will say, wait a minute, Larry, there's an exception to that. What about capital punishment? What about capital punishment? Well, if I covered that pretty extensively last year when we did the Ten Commandments. And God allows for that. We kill another human being, God allowed death. But God determines a man's time of man's death. How precious is life to God? I can sum that up in one scripture. And you, you can probably quote it with me. For God so loved the world. And you know, you could put your name in that. I think it's better if you put your name in that. For God so loved Larry. And you could put your name there. That he gave his only son. That if Larry would believe in him, I could have everlasting life. Our God is a God of life, and life is precious to him. Your life is precious to him, so precious to him that he gave his life for your life. And if you don't know that this morning, I hope that you will. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Everyone, if you would, just bow your, close your eyes for a moment.
I know it got, I know it got heavy under that appointment thing, but it's truth. God spared DeMar Hamlin that day. But had he not despaired, had he not spared DeMar Hamlin, DeMar Hamlin would have slipped into eternity. And being a star football player and, and, and an overall good guy, the best I can tell, that wouldn't have mattered. Now, I've heard some very encouraging things about DeMar Hamlin. I think there's a good possibility he's a follower of the Lord, that he's surrendered his life. So that means DeMar Hamlin would have come off of a football field and stepped into the glories of heaven. But for those who don't, they, they move into separated from God in a place called hell. And what we want as a church is to know that you know that when your appointment time comes that you're ready. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know, you say, well, I just don't know. This altar is open. And you're free to come down here and someone will follow behind you and pray with you if you want to come and surrender your life to the Lord.